Welcome everyone to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host Jordan Ron on ESPN, ESPN.com Giants reporter here with an impromptu episode of Breaking Big Blue because I missed one last week. So this is, I'm going to make it up episode, right? Where I'm going to go out of my way to make it happen because I feel so bad about what happened previously about how I couldn't get it done last week that I'm coming back with a special edition just for you right now. And what I'm going to do here is I'm just going to answer on your questions. That's going to be almost this whole episode, is answering your questions, right? Most of it's going to be in the Giants After Dark segment. But first, let me touch on a few things because there was rookie minicamp. We saw Daniel Jones. Let me explain rookie minicamp for you guys for a second, okay? It's like when you go to spring training and they have the spring training games, and on the backfield they have minor league games as well. That's what rookie minicamp is like. There's 70 guys. They all just learn the playbook. They're, they're just like a cram course. They're getting out there. Half these guys won't even be on NFL rosters this year. Some of them won't even be in camps. And they're going out there and they're trying to run plays. It could be a total disaster. Nobody knows what they're doing. The quarterbacks are seeing defenses don't even exist because guys are just running all over the place and have no clue what the heck they're doing. So if you get in the huddle and you run the right play and everybody looks like they're doing the right thing, that's considered a success. And that's kind of what you saw from Daniel Jones. They didn't have to get in and out of the huddle ten times where they were running the wrong play. He couldn't call the play. He didn't remember the play. He didn't know where to make a decision when he had the ball. He looked like he was throwing the ball pretty well. Getting in, running plays. You know, sure, there's a lot of check downs. Maybe that's the Giants offense. We saw it from Eli a ton last year. Maybe that's just what Pat Shermer and Mike Shula demand. But he threw the ball pretty well. He looked confident. He looked poised. He looked like he knew what he was doing. He looked like he belonged a little bit. Now, we'll get to the arm strength stuff in a little bit, but he looked like he threw with good velocity. Uh You could see why teams like him, why he was a number six overall pick. As for the defensive line, Dexter Lawrence, their second first round pick. The, the lines, look, they're in, they're, they're not in full pads. It's hard to really evaluate. This is the, you know, the, the, uh, underwear Olympic part of the, uh, of the, uh, spring. Okay. So yeah, Dexter Lawrence is a huge human being. His size is for real. So you, you like that about him. Uh, DeAndre Baker, the third first round pick looks physical. Looks like he's going to compete. Uh, looks like he's going to be a guy who's has a chance to be a really good cover cornerback, or really all around cornerback. Okay, so that's my quick recap. We'll get more into the rookies in our second episode this week. That's right, there will be a second episode taped later this week. I'm taping this on Tuesday afternoon. There'll be another one on Thursday. That's right, a second one. See. I'm taking care of you guys and girls and women and men and whatever. Whoever wants to listen, we're inclusive. We include everybody. Everyone's welcome to listen to Breaking Big Blue. So the other thing that's going on with the Giants is they signed right tackle Mike Remmers or offensive lineman Mike Remmers, I'd say. Played guard uh, the past year or so in maybe two years almost or a year and a half and in in Minnesota, has played right tackle. Dave Gettleman knows him from Carolina. Pat Shermer knows him from Minnesota. This was pretty much inevitable. The Giants were, it seemed, seemed pretty sure 
even during the draft and before the draft that this is was going to happen. I think that's why they went the route that they did in regards to not signing a right tackle. Now, is Mike Remmers the ultimate solution? Is he a slam dunk? He's coming off back surgery. Uh, he's getting older. Never was a great player in the first place. I, I spoke to some personnel people around the league. They think he's average. He's okay. Uh, one guy said, uh, his quote was, don't care for Remmers, but better than Wheeler. So, it's an upgrade. He has short arms, a bad back. Not a great right tackle. Is it better than what they've been throwing out there in the last couple of years? Sure is. And then we're going to start with a question here. And then before before we get into Giants after dark, but we'll throw in this question. Matt LaRoe, 13, he asked me, he, he threw this on email. He says, now that the Giants have signed Mike Rammers, how do you see this line performing in regards to run blocking and pass protection? I think we all feel pretty confident what Saquon can do with a good line. However, do you see Eli, how do you see Eli performing behind this line if he's not getting sacked 40 times a year? I expect Eli to be vastly improved, right? But not really from the first half of last year. But not really from the second half of last year. The, the line was okay in the second half of last year. And that's kind of what you should expect. I mean, a slightly above average quarterback, maybe. Like that's sort of the ceiling here. Right? He was sacked. 47 times last year, right? But how many came in the second half of the year? Uh, let's count them up real quick. 5, 7, 10, 15, 16. So that's a 32. That's a pace for um, for 32, which is probably going to be about right. I mean, he's going to get sacked. He's not mobile. He's less mobile than ever, right? He's older. He's not as good. So he should be decent. I mean, the, the reality is on Eli, and it should help. It's going to help. It should help the running game. should help Saquon be better. It should help the passing game. But the thing with the passing game is he's still going to be under pressure. First of all, there's no all-pro out of this group. Okay? Nate Solder, he's okay. Above-average player. Decent player. Uh... Will Hernandez, good player, probably not great. Center, John Jalapio, Spencer Pulley, serviceable centers. Think they could be okay there. Left guard, Kevin Zeitler, good player, approaching 30. Maybe the only one who, who he's probably the highest level of the offensive lineman. And then Mike Remmers, average right tackle. So you're not bad in any spot. I think that's a positive. Last year, their whole right side of the line, disaster. Just walk in and get a shot at Eli. So it should help, but there's they're still... This isn't going to be a line that's an impenetrable wall, and nobody can get near Eli Manning. In, the, in today's NFL, every quarterback gets pressured, and pressured a lot. And so Eli Manning will still be under a lot of pressure, and so he'll still have to make plays under pressure. Hopefully, the mental part of it will help him, that he won't be seeing pressure even when it's not there. I think that's what you're hoping for. But I still think the ceiling is above, a slightly above average quarterback. Eli Manning has not been a top 10 QBR quarterback since 2012. I'm talking about seven years now. You don't often see a complete career rejuvenation at age 38 years old. I just, I just don't see that. So I think he could be better, but how good are you hoping for? I don't know. So he, sh- he should be better because the line should be better. 
Dish to block better. Now he doesn't have Odell Beckham to throw throw to him, throw it to, or throw touchdowns for him. <laughs> Could throw that in there as well. But, yeah, the offense should operate a little more efficiently for sure. And Eli should be better because the offensive line is better. But there's very little doubt in my mind, and I wouldn't bet on it, that he's all of a sudden going to be you know, back to his prime years. That just seems unrealistic to me. So that's that. Now let's get to the main part of this episode. On to the next yes, one. Yes, it's time for the part of the episode where you, the fans, get to ask your deepest darkest Giants question and I do my best to answer it in Giants after dark. We'll start with Nick Kirby and Kirby NYY says, can you discuss Jones's arm strength? Seems like the scouting reviews on his arm talent are all over the place. Yeah, you know what? You're, you're probably right. The scouting reviews are all over the place on his arm talent and it's really the one thing that stands out the most is like, does, is is he talented enough? Is does he have the physical skills? Now I will say this. I mean, and I told just told you what rookie minicamp is. His arm strength looked all right. He looks like he throws the ball pretty well. And is it? Are we going to be able to tell how he throws in wind and rain and in game conditions with people un, uh, under pressure and throwing the ball downfield? No. But I will say this about him. Okay. You could tell last year when you went on the field and you saw Kyle Aletta throw, you were scratching your head a little bit like, really? You don't get that feeling when you go out there and you watch Daniel Jones throw. He has a better arm than Kyle Aletta. Now, that shouldn't be the bar that you know he has to get over because I don't think Kyle Aletta has an especially good arm. But it looks like he throws the ball pretty well and with decent velocity. And I wouldn't be overly concerned about that being his biggest problem. And I wrote a story sometime this offseason, if anybody wants to dig it up, about what people look for in quarterbacks. And I spoke to some executives, coaches. Uh, we got Gettleman and Shermer on there. And what I came away with was arm strength really isn't at the top of the list. It's not really at the top of anyone's list anymore. Now, you need to have a certain level of arm strength to be successful, right? You can't just have a noodle on your arm. You can't just have a total noodle arm just throwing ducks out there all day. Can't have that. So you have to meet a, thir- a, meet a certain threshold. And I think Jones should be able to do that. There's other things way more important. To me, the biggest concern, I mentioned this before, with Daniel Jones is going to be is he good enough where he can lift the level of everyone else around him? Is he that good a player? Because that is a big skill necessary for a quarterback. He has to be so good, so talented, that he goes and makes everyone else around him. That's been a problem with the Giants lately, especially the past couple of years, is Eli isn't at that level anymore. He's aging. He's lost a little bit. He is unable to lift other people up around him. So that's my question with Jones. More than the arm strength. Question two, at Stevie Bob one two three, he asks, should we expect Jones to be treated the same as Loletta was last year with respect to practice reps, or will he see more opportunities and be brought along faster? 
Yeah, I know this is probably going to disappoint people, but this is my opinion. We don't know this yet. But, you know, he's starting out as the third string. We're talking about Daniel Jones here. Loletta spent all summer last year with the third string. And I think we're going to see most of that with Daniel Jones. I think he's going to be. Like, I think the way it's going to play out is Loletta and Tanny are basically going to split the two reps and Daniel Jones will get most of the three reps. So, yeah, I do think it will turn out that way. Unless the Giants come to the realization, I don't think this is going to be the case, that they're only going to carry two quarterbacks and Daniel Jones is going to be the primary backup. I do think they will carry three quarterbacks, which brings me to my next question, which is J.M. Schubert, and he says, how many quarterbacks you think make the 53-man roster? I think there is a distinct possibility that they keep Alex Tanney on the roster, or if they think it's Kyle Oletta and they think he, he's capable of being that guy, where he's the guy, the backup, where if the Giants, something happens to Eli during a game, they can just throw in Kyle Oletta or Alex Tanney. And they feel comfortable enough with that guy as their number two quarterback that they can just throw him in in the middle of the game. And they'll let Daniel Jones learn. And he will be the number three quarterback. And let's say something happens to Eli and he misses a stretch of games, a chunk of games. Maybe then Daniel Jones will jump the two guy. But in the meantime, I do think they'll end up keeping three. Pat Shermer has said in the past he likes to do that. So uh I, I think he will again do that. He has four to choose from right now. So uh at Dave Rogers, 1984, you're a late addition to the questions, Dave, okay? Uh, you threw this one in there. Will you actually be doing reporting instead of criticizing the Giants' every move this year? Well, it's contingent on one very important thing, Dave. And I know I bring this up a bunch, and and I hope I, I'm not being annoying with this, driving home this point. But when they're actually not one of the worst teams in the league... I won't be criticizing their every move. Now, they've been one of the worst teams in the league six of the past seven years. They haven't even been competitive, except for that one year. Non-competitive. So when that's the case, that's when I will be able to do more reporting and concentrating on more positive things. Okay? So, next question. Eric Roback asks... How do you handle Dalvin Tomlinson with the addition of Dexter Lawrence in a 3-4? Well, first of all, they play sub-package 60% of the time. That means they're going to basically be playing four-man fronts 60% of the time. Plenty of opportunity for Dalvin Tomlinson. If they view him as one of their best pass rushers, which I'm not so sure he is, he could get in there. But aside from that, he's played defensive end in the 3-4 as well. He's in the 300-pound range. I personally think he's a better 3-4 defensive end than he is nose tackle. I don't see him as being one of these two-gapping monster nose tackle run stuffers in a 3-4. And I know the Giants said he's better at that position. That's they think that's his ideal position. I didn't see it. Sorry, just didn't just didn't see it. So at McCoy KY asks, what's the expected cap room next offseason for the Giants? And any potential big name free agents you think they target with that cap space? I haven't looked up 
the, the free agency yet in that regard, and we have to kind of figure, all right, what are the Giants going to be looking for? Are they going to need a one, number one wide receiver? Right? Who's that? I don't think guys like Michael Thomas are going to end up being end up hitting free agency personally. Uh, defense, yes, they're going to still need a pass rusher. Probably they're going to need an impact. They're just going to need an impact defensive player. Darn it! I mean, so estimated right now about sixty-five million. We'll see who the. I haven't even looked. We haven't even started this year, so I haven't even gotten to next year. But sixty-five million is going to be a good chunk to spend. They're going to be able to get a couple impact players, and you're going to have to start with the defense. You know why? Because right now, they have $100 million invested in their offense and $63 million invested in their defense, and an additional, you know, about $3 million in special teams. So you see the disparity there. Okay? So I don't want to hear any excuses either. The, the success of the New York Giants is going this year is on the offense. No blaming it on the defense, for God's sakes. Okay? Five of the top paid players on this team right now are on the offense. The Giants' offense needs to be successful. And with that, brings us to the next question. Let's talk about the defense. Giants' defensive captains. This is from at plus underscore sign. Giants' defensive captains? Question mark? Seems like slim pickings. Yeah, that's because they're only spending, what, a third of their, you know, 33% of their salary cap space on their defense. And a big chunk of that is Olivier Vernon's dead money. <laughs> so the Giants defensive captain seems pretty clear cut to me. It's going to be Alec Ogletree, who's the captain last year. And if they have a second one, it could be either Mike Thomas, but he's probably a special teams captain, but he maybe goes on both those or Antoine Bethea. He's going to be the leader on that defense 150%. He's a veteran, 35 years old, knows the James Betcher system. You know, he, he's the guy. Him and Alec Ogletree, to me, are the two defensive captains. A dope on a rope asked me, and then this is a very long-winded question he asked, so I'm going to cut it down a little bit. Let's say Eli's play is a repeat of last year. They bench him, start Daniel Jones after the bye week or whenever. And just like most rookie QBs, he struggles. Giants go 13-3. and I don't want that at all as a fan, but this is for fun. Let's just say they land the number one overall pick. Do you see them taking Tua, if Tua has a similar or better season than last year, and gets back to the championship and wins it? I mean, Gettleman has been quoted saying you can't have too many good players at one position. Okay. I do not think they would be willing to do that. We'll see. I just don't think... Look, the only way I could see the Giants doing that if there was an Andrew Luck kind of prospect. There's going to be knocks and holes on Tua. He's small. He doesn't have a great arm. I would venture to say that Daniel Jones has a better arm than Tua. So if you're worried about Daniel Jones's arm, you're definitely going to be worried about Tua's arm. And he struggled a little bit. Injuries is a little bit of concern with him now. I don't think, look, he's going to be a really good prospect and a great prospect. He's not at the Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck level of prospects. I just don't see that. If he was, yeah, I think then they may, they might reconsider. But I just don't see that being the case. And they just invested the number six overall pick in Daniel Jones. It had never been done, really, in the modern era. For a team 
to draft a co- two quarterbacks in the top 10. And I know the Cardinals did it with the same GM, which is just a crazy, crazy concept. But, but I don't think the Giants will be at that point. They won't, unless, unless they fire everybody, which I don't see really happening. Cause then it changes everything, right? If they get a new coach, then it might change their philosophy. That's kind of what happened in Arizona. Still think it's a terrible, terrible thing to do as an organization. And you'd be totally screwed if you did it. So straight off that, we're going to go to Montana Farmers question, P-H-A-R-M-E-R. says, what's the next dumb move Gettleman will make? Well, see, Montana, here's the beauty of this. There are such amazing potential there. Right? I mean, he could do something like, Sign Patrick Omame. Right? Resign Patrick Omame. Give him starter money. Or he could bring Jonathan Stewart out of retirement. How about that? Or he could roll it back again with Eli Manning. That would be crazy, right? Roll it back again with Eli. 2020, here we come. 2021 contract extension. How about a, a lucrative multi-year contract ex- extension for Eli? Would that do it for you? Is that dumb enough and crazy enough? How about they never put Daniel Jones in a game this year? He gets zero experience and the Giants go six and ten. That could happen. That's dumb. The potential. The potential for that question, Wesley. Oh, boy, the potential. So many possibilities. Let's move up to Brian. B. Miga, M-I-G-A, 88, says, What week do you see Daniel Jones making his first start? Okay. I believe they play, and this is the first opportunity. I'm not saying this is my answer yet. I believe they play... I know it's on uh, October 10th. I believe it's week, it's their sixth game. They play the Patriots. Then they have 10 days until they play the Cardinals. The Cardinals game is at MetLife Stadium. That would be an opportunity if things are just going down the crapper, right? Say, hey, okay, hey, let's do it. Let's go right now. Let's make the move. Eli to Daniel Jones. Do I think they will do that? No, I do not. We've already seen they've had trouble pulling the trigger. How about later in the season? Midway point. Eight weeks. No. Bye week. No. I just don't see it. Not unless they are just so bad. Poop their pants so bad, Eli Manning does, that they're willing to move on from him. We've already seen they've had trouble doing that. Moving on from him. I personally think he'll be okay this year. He'll be a middling quarterback. They'll win a few games here or there. They won't be brutal. They'll drag it out until they're officially eliminated from the playoffs, which to me will be about week 15. And that's when you're going to see Daniel Jones make his first career start for the New York Giants. Of course, anything could change. I mean, there could be an injury, right? That would totally flip the script. At that point, you have to sort of pivot or if they're just so bad, I mean, they're 0 and 5, 1 and 5, 0 and 4, 1 and 7. Oh, hey, they were 1 and 7 last year. 
Did they make a move? No. They did not have the number six overall pick. But not only did they not make a move, and Eli was terrible in that one and seven start, they rolled it back for another year. So anything is possible right now. Most likely, Kberg NYG says, most likely UDFA, undrafted free agent, to make the 53-man roster. Now to me, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right or wrong, I'm most likely wrong. This isn't my specialty here, pronouncing these kinds of names. Josiah Tawaiefa. Okay? He's a linebacker from, I believe, uh, UTSA. And the reason I think he has the best chance to make it, and, and look, we'll know more of this. Let's at least see them on the field in, in extended play a little bit more. But the Giants made a more of a commitment to him than they did their other draft of free agents. He's guaranteed $95,000 combination of uh, base salary and signing bonus guarantees. And he's at a position where the giants are not very deep and not very good. He's the tackling machine at UTSA. He has potential. I heard he could cover decent. So maybe there's opportunity there. There's different packages where he could be used. Special teams, would be an opportunity for him there. So I think he is the guy to me that stands out the most with a potential chance of making the 53-man roster and actually even making some sort of uh, contribution, really. So, all right, Brian Alcobendis. Brian Alcobendis says, here's a question for your podcast or even a question to ask at a press conference for Shermer. Why not utilize Jones, Daniel Jones, in a way to help the team now by using him like Taysom Hill of the Saints in the pistol with Saquon? He's athletic enough and it can be used as a wrinkle to confuse the defense and make third downs. Also, teams would now have to game plan for another scheme. The Saints use him all the time, and it does not mean he threatens Breeze's job security. This way, Jones helps the season and gets little experience instead of waiting a whole year to get any experience. No. Just no. Okay, you're not risking your future franchise quarterback to go run down on special teams to get an experience what? Running down the field on special teams and getting his face planted in the ground? Special teams might be the most dangerous of all situations to put a guy in. You're not putting someone you invested the number six overall pick in that situation. I'm sorry. You're just not. This isn't Taysom Hill. And on top of that, the data shows that making other teams plan for all these other game plans and all these plays with Taysom Hill, that it it hasn't even, those plays with Taysom Hill have not even been pro- that productive. All right? Now, maybe the plays when he's on the field and serving as a decoy do have served per- as productive. But they're just not doing that with Daniel Jones. If they're getting experience for Daniel Jones, it needs to be as a starting Quarterback, a guy who goes back, learns how to read defenses, and sees all these blitzes that people are coming at him with. That's what being a quarterback is all about. That's the experience he needs to gain in order to be a successful quarterback in the NFL. So his decision-making process is precise, fast. He's makes quick decisions, doesn't hesitate, sees the field well, Handles pressure, moves around the pocket, feels the pressure. These are the kind of things you need to learn 
in games at the NFL. And you learn, you know how many of those you learn on special teams and all these gadget plays? Zero. None. Zip. Zilch. Last question is from Sly John 34 JS, he asks, why is it after dark? He's referring to the segment as Giants After Dark. Well, Sly, let me explain to you. Once upon a time, when I first came up with this, and first of all, it's a knockoff of, uh, there was a love show, uh, and After Dark, I believe it was Adam Carolla, right? And this is sort of a knockoff of that. And I would answer Giants questions at night on Twitter. This is, I think, I don't even think there was Periscope at first. It wasn't even available. This is like, you know, four, five years ago. Back in the dark ages. So... I was answering questions, Giants questions, at night, after a day of work, when I came home. Hence, the Giants After Dark. Now, for branding purposes, and because I like the name of it and I like the segment, I decided to keep the After Dark. Now, I could do it in the morning and say After Dawn, but it just doesn't have the same ring. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe I should ditch it. But... It's sort of my thing now. I feel like it's my thing. It's the Giants After Dark segment. Your deepest, darkest Giants questions. You can't do that in the afternoon. You can't do that in the morning. It's Giants After Dark. And that's it for this segment. On to the next one. See? I told you. This was all going to be about answering your questions. This was all going to be about Giants After Dark. This episode was a throwing. This was a makeup. I'm trying to make up. I'm trying to make good with all you guys that are yelling at me and saying, you're an idiot. You suck. You're a moron. Give us podcasts. We want it. Give it to us when we want it and right away. Well, I'm trying. I'm trying here. I'm trying my best. So I made up for it. Here's a bonus podcast answered as many questions as I could. I think I got like a dozen in there. And I hope, hope you liked it. So that's it for this episode of Breaking Big Blue. Remember, like this podcast, right? Go to ESPN app. Go to uh, Apple Podcasts. Go to Google Play. I'll catch it on a podcatcher. Anything. Come on. And tell your friends. Tell anybody you know who likes the Giants. Anyone who just wants to be entertained. You know, you want to laugh at the idiot? Okay, tell your friends. You want to laugh an idiot? Go follow this podcast, Breaking Big Blue, Jordan Ronan. He'll entertain you. He's a moron, or he's the best, or he's awesome. Bring it on. Let's come on. Let's grow this podcast. And it's all it's all because of you guys. I appreciate it. Everybody for listening, really. Thank you very much. Feel free to reach out to me anytime with questions. I'll do my best to answer them on this podcast, or I'll respond to you on social media. You can catch me on um Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, you can send me emails, whatever. Any, any way you'd like, I'm uh, almost always available. And with that, that's the end of this episode of Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ronan. See you next time.